glorious gospel. And we're looking at the gospel from beginning to end, essentially. Where first it was conceived in the mind of God. Where first God, before the foundation of the world, slew His Son. Understanding that Jesus would need to shed His blood for the sins of the world. So that we might be forgiven and enter into an eternal fellowship with Him. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. Our eternal home. But in Isaiah chapter 25, Isaiah writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all of the earth. The Lord has spoken. So he has an ultimate plan. God has no plan B. He has a plan A that he has been working throughout the centuries. And that will come to an ultimate culmination as Isaiah describes. And in the book of Revelation, the Lord lays it out for us in very clear fashion. He tells us, What is to come? Now, it's not only in the book of Revelation that we find these truths, but the book of Revelation reveals it in such a clear and concise way. And I want to read out of Revelation right now, chapter 1, verse 19. John is on the Isle of Patmos. Patmos is a prison island. It's a very barren island, primarily rock. And they would send prisoners there to quarry and to, to remove rock from the island. And, of course, at this time, John is a very aged man. And he is on the Isle of Patmos for his, his testimony of Jesus Christ, for his faith. But while on the Isle of Patmos, John has a vision. And in this vision, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And John turns around, and he sees this vision of the risen Christ. A Christ most unlike the Jesus he walked the earth with. This is the risen Christ. And I'm not going to go through and read that, but John sees this dramatic vision of Jesus Christ there. And John falls at his feet as though dead. And Jesus takes John, places his right hand on him and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and of hell. So Jesus reassures John that he's in control. He was dead, but he's alive now. And he's alive forevermore. Beyond that, he holds the keys of death and of hell. So he controls our lives both here and now, but in what is yet to come. And that's what's important 
for us to understand here this morning. That is, there is a yet to come. This world is not all there is. Jesus tells John, write, John, what you have seen. Describe what is now, that is, his vision of the risen, glorified Christ. Write, or excuse me, what you have seen, that is the vision of the glorified Christ. What is now, and that is the church age. So in chapters 2 and 3, John will describe the church age that currently we live in. The age of grace, where the Gentiles are invited in to the kingdom of God to join with the Jewish people and form a church, a bride for his very own. And then he says to John, write also what will take place later, what is yet to come. And in Revelation chapter 4, on through the end of the book, John describes the future the things that will occur after the church age. Beginning with, as we talked about last week, the rapture of the church, which will usher in the 70th week of Daniel, or what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus described it as a time of great tribulation. That if it were not shortened, no flesh would survive it. It's going to be a time of dramatic, dramatic impact upon the earth. But that seven-year period will conclude with the physical return of the king. Jesus Christ will return to the earth. And he will establish his kingdom. It says in Isaiah chapter 2, there on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So these things are all yet to come. And there's much to come after Jesus' second coming. We sometimes think in terms of that being the end of it all, but in fact, that really just gets it started. Because we read about in Revelation chapter 20, a great white throne wherein the wicked dead, those who are outside of Christ, those who have rejected God's free offer of salvation will be judged. There is going to be a thousand years where Jesus reigns upon the earth. And we, as his church, will reign with him. We're going to read about that this morning. This is all yet to come. And that introduces us ultimately into what I want to talk most about here this morning. And that is the eternal home that we possess as Christians. That eternal home with Christ in heaven, in a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll talk about that this morning as well. Now, the challenge for us as Christians living in this world today is that we remain in bodies of flesh that are vulnerable to sin. Now, we have been born again of the Spirit The Spirit of God dwells in us, but these bodies have yet to be transformed. We have not yet been resurrected with Him, although we look to that day, and by faith we trust that it will happen. And in that resurrection, we'll enter into His very presence and into an eternal relationship with Him. But we also 
face a foe who opposes us. Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer, whose primary means of warfare is deceit. He wants to deceive us from believing the truth that is found in this book and from living a life that is in accord with the will of God. So we have a couple of strikes against us right now. We have our flesh with which we struggle, and we have an enemy, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, the Bible calls it, that opposes us and tries to deceive us. And primarily, primarily what Satan wants us to disbelieve is that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And he works overtime getting us to scoff at the notion that there is a hell that confronts those who reject God's free gift of salvation. He wants us to believe that this is the ultimate culmination of our existence, that this life that we now live is all there is. The astronomer Carl Sagan said, the cosmos is all that ever is and ever was. And that's ultimately what Satan wants us to believe, that there's nothing else but that which we can see, feel, taste, touch, and physically perceive. But it's not true. I want to share a video with you. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Any, any Narnians out there? Okay. This clip is taken from a, a BBC version of The Silver Chair, which is one of the books in the series. And I want to set the stage for you a little bit. Prince Rillian, who is a child of Prince Caspian, has been taken captive by the Lady of the Green Kirtle. And she is an emblem of evil. So she has taken captive Prince Rillian. And Puddleglum, who is a marshwiggle, anybody ever seen a marshwiggle? It's actually one of the characters that Lewis created. Never found in, in, uh, in human history, either in um, legend or folklore or anything. He just sort of created the marsh wiggle. And Puddleglum has taken two young children, Eustace and Jill, and they are on a quest to locate and to rescue Prince Rillian. And they have found Prince Rillian in the lair of the Lady of the Green Kirtle. And here in the, this scene, I want you to pick up on how Lewis is dealing with this deception that I have just shared with you, how Satan tries to deceive us into believing that this is all there is. Jason? There is no sun. There never was. There never was a song. Dazzler. Dazzler. What a pretty name. Forget all these childish things. Face life here in this real world. Your life henceforth is to be here with me. You will do my work now. To bed with you. To sleep. Sleep. 
madam. There is one thing to say. Suppose, suppose we have only dreamed and made up these things like sun, sky, stars, and moon, and Aslan himself. In that case, it seems to me that the made-up things are a good deal better than the real ones. And if this black pit of a kingdom is the best you can make, then it's a poor world. And we four can make a dream world to lick your real one hollow. How dare you threaten me! As for me, I shall live like a Narnian. Even if there isn't any Narnia. So thanking you very much for supper. We're going to leave your court at once and make our way across your great darkness to search for our land above. Well said, Pallet Lord. Well said. Thanks for doing So you see how the Lady of the Green Kirtle was deceiving Eustace and Jill into believing her world was all there was. That there wasn't a world above of light and of stars and of sun. And so it is with us today. If you look at popular culture, the, the notion of heaven and of hell is largely dismissed. If there is I haven't talked about. It is a fantastical heaven that has no real connection to the heaven described in the Bible. And most people, even many Christians, uh, discard the notion of a hell. A hell such as is described in the Bible that Jesus himself talked about very much. So this morning, I want to say to you, that there are going to be two resurrections. The Bible describes two resurrection classes. A first resurrection where the righteous dead are raised and a second resurrection where the unrighteous dead are raised. We read about this first in Daniel chapter 12. It says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Talking about the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th, year of Dan, 70th week of Daniel. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and, though, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there's going to be a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the unjust. Everyone will be raised from the dead. Some to everlasting life with God. Some to everlasting life separated from God. And, and the whole key to which resurrection we are in hinges upon our faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel that we've been talking about, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
His death on our behalf. His shed blood for our sin. His resurrection from the dead, proving that He had conquered death and that He had authority to give unto us eternal life. People talk about hell, and I, I get this. I understand. They don't want to recognize or acknowledge the reality of how terrible hell is. Jesus described it as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, indicating a great regret, a knowledge of what they rejected, an awareness of and an understanding regarding what they could have possessed, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. It will be a place of torment. Jesus said, I'm giving you Jesus' words here. These aren't mine. Jesus said it would be a place where the worm dies not, indicating a place of intense and ongoing torment. And finally, it will be a place that John the Revelator describes as a lake of fire where there will be ongoing and eternal punishment. All of these things added to the reality that there is no hope for redemption ever. An eternal separation from God. Listen to what it says about the second death. This is the great white throne judgment that we read about. This will occur at the conclusion of the thousand-year reign of Christ. John says, I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So God has a very specific record of every person's life. And here, the unrighteous dead have been raised up. The sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, people will ask the question, How can a God of love send people to an everlasting hell, a place of punishment that is eternal in its scope? Well, first, you need to understand that God does not send anyone to hell. We choose to go there. God, the Bible says, desires that all come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires that all persons be saved. But he did create a hell. And Jesus describes that hell in the parable of the sheep and goats. And he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire, prepared, it says, for the devil and his angels. So hell was created for Satan and for the angels that joined with him in his rebellion. It was not initially intended for man. 
But that is going to be the place where all who reject him go. And I said to you that we choose to go to hell, that God does not consign anyone to hell. It is our own choice. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. If we keep deliberately sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is therefore no more sacrifice for sins. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctifies and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge. It is a dreadful and a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we choose to go there because we have rejected the truth that has been revealed to us. We have rejected and trampled underfoot the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what takes a person into everlasting fire, into the place where the worm dies not, into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal separation from the comfort and the bliss of God's presence. Now, this sounds harsh, and I intend it to, because I'm repeating what the Bible says. We're talking about eternity here, people. It is imperative. It is absolutely critical. If you are hearing my voice today and you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ in faith and trusted his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead for your salvation and your ultimate eternal destiny that you do so today. There is indeed a hell to avoid. Don't let the satanic voice say to you, a God of love would never send you to hell. A God of love will make everything all right. Now, imagine, imagine spending an eternity with a God whom you've not even wanted to spend a lifetime with. How does that equate? So there is a hell, and it is a place to be avoided. And there is good news. There is hope in Christ. No one need go to that place. No one ever need go to the lake of fire. Unfortunately, Jesus' own words here again, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Wide is its path, and many there will be that find that path. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Enough about hell. Let's get to the good stuff. If you have trusted in Christ, if you have given your heart to him, repented of your sin, and been born again, this is what lies ahead for you. John says in Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So John sees a new heaven and a new earth, 
that has been recreated. Now, here's an important thing for you to understand. Heaven, eternity with God, is not about floating about on a cloud with a harp, being bored incessantly. That is not what heaven is. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth that has a continuity with a connection to the old heaven and the old earth. You see, Jesus, when he rose up from the grave, his old body was connected to his resurrected body. He he came to the disciples and he said, touch me, feel. I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone as you see that I have. He was bodily raised. There was a connection to the body that was put in the grave that was reconstituted and resurrected. Same will hold true for us. You see, in the beginning, God intended when he placed Adam and Eve in the garden that they would tend the garden, that they would work the garden, that they would rule over the earth. When they sinned, they forfeited that sovereignty that they possessed that had been given to them by God over the earth to Satan. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and through God's ultimate recreation of the world, we are going to reestablish what God originally intended. It says in Romans chapter 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly our adoption into sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So all of creation is looking towards that new birth, that new heavens, and that new earth, just as we are, when we will be raised, we will be transformed. There is a continuity that will exist between what was originally and what will be. So, what is wonderful? What is most wonderful about our lives here? What is most fulfilling about your lives here? Save sin. That will be present in eternity. The joys that you are blessed with here will be present in eternity. So many people who I've talked to throughout, throughout my ministry have said to me something along these lines. Yeah, heaven sounds great and all, but I really don't want to go to heaven too soon. I'm sort of enjoying my life here. I'm in, enjoying what I possess here. And, and, and my simple response to that is, okay, well, take here, eliminate sin, Translate your body into something that is immutable, unchangeable, and add in the presence of Jesus Christ, and you have the new heaven and the new earth. That's what it's going to be like. 
And, and, and sometimes we have such a, a limited view of what God has planned for us in eternity. It's a shrinking view. It's the view, as I said, that puts us on a cloud with a harp and consigns us to nothing else. Eternity is about so much more. Eternity is about so much more. Listen to what it says here. Again, Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So one of the aspects of our eternal home is that God himself will dwell with us. He will be present with us. We will see him, it says in 1 John 3, face to face. All pain will be eliminated, crying, mourning, and death. No more tears in our eyes. All of the old things, the old order of things will have passed away. Sin will have been removed from the equation. God will be present with us. With God present, we should have an expanding view of what eternity is going to be like. Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. He said, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? Well, I'll tell you. Paul says in verse 7. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So there are going to be coming ages, ages upon ages upon ages, wherein God is going to reveal himself to us. Every time we will have thought, this is as good as it could possibly get. God has revealed in an amazing dimension to us who he is, how much he loves us, what his grace toward us is like. And then there will come a new age where God unveils himself yet again. Just like the unfolding of the onion, layer after layer. Only with the onion, eventually, we do arrive at the core. But it says in Ephesians that he is, God is, able to do immeasurably more than we can either ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout every generation forever and ever. So, let me ask you this. How much is immeasurably? Because that's what it says he's able to do. It says he's able to do immeasurably more than we can think or imagine. And even in our resurrected bodies, even in our eternal 
home. God is going to constantly be revealing his glory from age to age, showing us his grace and giving us in that kingdom a fulfillment unlike anything we have ever known. Now, there have been times in my life, I'm sure in yours also, where you have achieved something, you've accomplished something, you have worked towards a goal and finished it, and you have a great sense of accomplishment and purpose and meaning in your life as a result. Magnify that by eternity, and you have a little glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, the new heavens and the new earth. We're still going to be here, people. We're still going to be on this planet, but it will have been redeemed. There's still going to be the heavens above us, but they will have been redeemed. No more spiritual wickedness existing within them. And there is going to be a place eternally that you will call home. Jesus said to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, then believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms in it. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. So Jesus is telling his disciples he's going to his father's house. And he, in his father's house, there are many rooms, many dwelling places. And Jesus is going there to his father's house to build a place for us to remain for eternity. The description of which is found in the book of Revelation in chapter 21. It's the city called the New Jerusalem. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city, its width and its height. With a human measurement, it was 100, excuse me. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. So this is... Extraordinary long. It's a city that is about 1,400 miles square. The angel measured the wall using human measurement. It was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single, single pearl. And the great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. It goes on to describe that Jesus is dwelling there, and he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are what illuminates the city. But it's not just a city built of precious stones. It's a city that has within it a beautiful garden 
It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down through the middle of the great street of the city. And on either side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And there his servants will serve him. So now here the service part of God is, is revealed that throughout eternity he will give us work to do that is fulfilling, that is purposeful, that is adventurous. Everything, again, that is good, that is wonderful about life, that God intended for mankind when he placed them in the garden, we will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. It will be a time of continual and unending revelation of the goodness of God. So you have a choice. We have a choice for where we will dwell eternally. We can dwell in an eternal hell separated from God, filled with flames, torment, and regret. Or we can join with our Savior in a beautiful new heavens and a new earth, and a city that Jesus has been working on for 2,000 years. As Keith Green used to say, it only took him six days to create everything that we can see. Imagine what it's going to look like, that which he has worked on for 2,000 years. We will possess Christ's righteousness a position that precludes ever sinning again. So we will literally be in a better position than Adam and Eve were. Our wills will be perfectly aligned with God's will. There will be unending purpose, growth, wonder, joy, righteousness, and peace as God always intended it to be. And to him alone be the glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise of the gospel that culminates in an eternal home for us with you. Justice demands that if we reject you, that if we reject your offer, that we be separated from you, and we will have chosen that ourselves. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And so, Lord, my prayer here this morning is that every person who has heard my voice will turn from their sin. Confess it, and you will be faithful and just to forgive it, to give them new life in you and the absolute assurance of an eternal home in heaven with you. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.